All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best? You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcasting. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Podkist, your podcast. And by that familiar music, you know what time it is. It's podcast time. Gary and I are joined by, we have the ever hairy Matt Porter. Say hi, Matt. I would let actually everybody know that we're really gathered around a table at the pool here at the Podkist Mansion. And while everybody's freezing and getting snow, we're here poolside with, uh, you know, all the girls. It looks like Paul Stanley's house from Kids Exposed. You can let everybody know. That's true. Well, I didn't want to make everybody upset, so uh, Mr. B.J. Cramp. Hello. There's no F on the end, though. There's no F, so it's B.J. Cramp, like you have a cramp. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. And we have Chris Cram. Good to be back on the podcast. I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. And Mr. Joey Haney. Hello, hello. I'm actually not by the pool. I'm inside doing the Paul Stanley workout because i got to lose weight. (laughs) And eating uh, a healthy diet of root beer and cereal, so... Well, today we're going to discuss Hot in the Shade, but before we do that, we're going to go around the the room real quick, and we're going to talk about the various shows that these guys are on and what they're currently listening to. Matt Porter. Anybody that's familiar with the podcast knows the Kiss Room. Go to thekissroom.com. Ken puts it in the podcast network of shows. I'm thrilled by that. We uh, we just did a show for January with our friend Dean Davidson from Brittany Fox, getting a lot of downloads and a lot of nice response from that. And uh, thekissroom.com. Not to mention you're also a fellow co-host of the podcast. So you and here I well. am. Here you are. What are you listening to right now? You know, it's funny. I to get ready for this week, I listen to Hot in the shaded a couple bunch of times probably more times this week than i have in a while mm-hmm. but uh i just got back in the door and we were actually listening to uh, a great band called clashing plaid which if you don't know clashing plaid go to clashingplaid.com. Uh, one of my all-time favorite bands and uh you should all go check that out i love their song be my Batgirl." that song has taken off the Batgirl access channel made a very cool video using actual Batgirl clips and uh, that that song has drawn a lot of people to clashing plaid uh this last year and uh you know it's good stuff it's it's a really uh they're a great band very cool mr bj cramp um, i do the rock and or roll podcast you can find it at rock and or roll podcast.blogspot.com and you're also and- a co-host of <clears throat> Cheap talk with trick chat. <laughs> yeah, cheap talk with trick chat. As as is Matt, and you are also a podcast podcast host now. So, if you say so, <laughs> I say so. <laughs> um, and uh, let's see. Last thing I was listening to in the car was a Canadian pop punk band called the Doughboys. One of my favorites from the '80s, early '90s. Mr. Chris Caram. I recently recorded an episode of uh, Creatures of the Net with uh, Mr. Cassius Morris, Matt, and uh, Stacy. Hopefully by the time this gets released, that will already have been out for a while. As for music, I've been listening to Yesterday and Today by The Beatles, the uh, U.S. albums that just came out. I've been listening to that as well. Mr. Joey Haney, please plug your show and tell us what you're listening to this week. Hello, hello. I'm one of the matriarchs of cnjradio.com. I host a podcast called Rock Strikes 10, a different top 10 theme show every week. Also co-host of the Wrestling House Show and producer of The Synaptic, all on cnjradio.com. Please subscribe to all shows. And what are you listening to? Oh, sorry. Currently, there's pretty much there's all these records and then there's this. 
There's Ginger Wildheart's Albion. If you have never heard Ginger Wildheart and you love rock and roll, whether it's heritage or modern, do yourself a favor. Ginger Wildheart is the best thing going right now. Very cool. I've got it. What's your favorite song on it? Oh, it changes. Uh, the, that title track is killing me, but I mean, everything on it, it's great. I mean, that guy is just the man. Chill, mother chill that's my favorite that, that's a good one love that one yeah. <laughs> i like that term heritage rock that's that's cooler than classic rock yeah i like yeah. it better it's like it's like critical like fancy name a little more expensive <laughs> mm-hmm. it's a politically correct name for old geezer rock <laughs> i remember the first time i heard that anyone talk about that was uh paul stanley mentioned it that uh kiss was now a heritage act now i was scratching my head going what <laughs> it's all just rock and roll that's right, it's baby. Good. That's right. That's right. That's right. Billy, That's right. Billy Joel. <laughs> Absolutely. There you go. All right. That's so, great. <laughs> so today we are going to discuss Hot in the Shade. Now, normally you know me to be the ever positive Kiss fan. I'm not so sure that I'm going to be as positive about this album. While I it agree. does have some very strong parts on the album for me, there's also some... Uh, well, less than stellar stuff, but we're going to get into that. I'll tell you what, when Hot in the Shade came out, I um, I wouldn't say that I'd stopped listening to Kiss, but I would say that it wasn't my top priority as, as far as music goes. Right. Um, I was heavily, heavily into Pink Floyd. They're still my second favorite band. And I think when Hot in the Shade um, hit the stores, I, it just wasn't something on my radar because I was really just interested in, in Pink Floyd and, and finding out more about them. Um, I bought Hot in the Shade a little while after it came out. I liked it okay. It wasn't something that I listened to over and over again. Crazy Nights, by comparison, was a record that um, I immediately liked a lot of the material. I I spun it um, repeatedly. Um, Hot in the Shade took a long time to warm up for me. Right. Um, I really started to listen to it much more, um, I'd say around like 2003 or 2003, I was doing a lot of driving. Uh, I had to do a lot of driving for my graduate uh, research and um, driving all around New York. And um, this was one of the CDs that I, I, you know, I sort of tried to listen to things while I was driving that I wasn't too familiar with to keep it kind of interesting. And I remember um, my brother was also really getting into, heavily into Kiss at that time. And um, we both kind of decided, hey, let's, let's really give Hot in the Shade a chance. And I remember driving around a bunch and just trying to listen to it objectively and enjoying it more and more as time went on. Uh, I think it's a, a fine rock and roll record with some really solid performances from everyone in the band. It's not one of Kiss's best albums. Right. Um, and there's some very good material on it uh, for people who, who want to take the time. Let's let's talk about the cover first off. What was your first reaction when you saw the cover? You can't judge a book by the cover, nor a CD or album by its cover, but what did you think of it? And we'll start out with Joey. This was actually the first Kiss release I bought with my own money. I was oh, wow. 11 years old. It was my birthday. And, yeah, yeah, I'm old. And... I was just glad that it was an album cover that my mom wasn't going to give me crap for. It's it's as about as family friendly as you can get at that time. Uh, it there's you know in the wake of post PMRC era, and yeah, I, I I know all the stories about it. How it's just a rip from a ZZ Top single, but uh, you know, it basically the tour made the cover better. Well, the tour fixed a lot of uh, multitude of sins, shall we say. Gary Schaller? Uh, the album cover, it, I, I actually like it. 
Um, I, it's to me, it's not that often that Kiss go the thematic route, you know, where they have like a, 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 a an album cover and a design and a stage show, all that kind of like tie into one another. Revenge, they sort of did that, um, but I really like the Hot in the Shade album cover. Um, if for no other reason than the fact that it's it's a very different I like when Kiss do the things that are kind of different for Kiss like the Elder album cover and and um, even the Asylum album cover as much as people a lot of people seem to dislike that um, I think it's different enough to make it interesting and Hot in the Shade is just weird it's a strange album cover um, and, and it kind of works and they you know they look cool inside of it the, the photo of the band they kind of look cool for that time um, sort of unassuming and not too glam, but also kind of rock and roll. So for me, it kind of works. Chris Karam, what do you think of the cover? I think the cover is pretty cool. It's different. Uh, one criticism that gets leveled at it, and in retrospect I can <clears throat> kind of see, is that they didn't put a bigger KISS logo on it. And the reason I say that is because by the time I got it, uh, CDs had pretty much taken over as the standard format. Albums mm-hmm. were kind of on the way out. Right. And the KISS logo was so tiny on that uh, CD cover that you know, the impact of it may not have been as good as it could have been. But I, I liked it, though. I did. Matt Porter. I I think it's kind of blah. I mean, it's, again, where I think you have Kiss, who's always known for such visuals, that to have something that looks kind of like, like Chris just said, I mean, you, know, you wouldn't even know it's a Kiss album. You know, it's like you'd, you'd walk right by this. And I think, in a way, it mirrors what was happening with them at the time, was they were becoming kind of you know, just part of the pack instead of really doing things that were bigger or better. It was just kind of like, yeah, you know, here it is. And I'm not really a fan of the cover. I think I like the illustration of it better that's stamped on the CD. The glasses are silver and, you know, things like that. But, I mean, as far as it doesn't even have a picture of them on it, you know, yeah, if they were trying not to offend anybody, it sure is one way to go. Yes, being invisible tends not to offend people. Right. Uh, well, does anybody have this on Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, you could easily have, think about what they were doing at the time. It could have been the band with a whole bunch of girls in bikinis, kind of like what are standing around us today here at the pool. But, you know, they didn't want to get stickered or whatever. So it's just, uh, you know, it's just kind of generic. Okay, BJ, what are your thoughts on the cover? Yeah, I, n- I never really liked the album title or the cover that much. I remember when they first announced the album title, I didn't really like it. But I, ha- I guess by 1989, I hadn't come to expect a lot from Kiss album covers. Right. You know, if you look at the previous few, so now see, I thought Crazy Nights was really cool. It I didn't make yeah, a lot of sense thematically, but it was just a cool album cover. If if yeah. you're a fan of that band, for example, if you were a fan of Crocus and they put that album cover out, you would have went cool cover. But it, <laughs> you know, it didn't uh, really translate musically or thematically. Uh, as far as yeah. my thoughts on the album, great illustration. Hardly can tell it's a Kiss album. When I when I see this, it's like uh, down towards the bottom for me. Let's put it that way. I, I think it's probably the worst cover right up there with Unmasked. I do not like the Unmasked cover. Ooh, I love that. I, cool. I love that. Yeah, yeah me like too. That. Yeah, but I think that has a lot to do with your age and the time that you found it, or when you found that album. I really think that that does. I, Gary's Gary, he'll tell you that there's nothing better than the Unmasked album cover. He oh, loves you know. It. He loves it. So the album is not a hard rock album. Would you guys call this a hard rock or heavy metal album by any no, stretch of the no, imagination? And no. I think that the band was trying to be more rhythm and bluesy rock. 
Is that fair to say? I, I actually disagree. I think there's a lot of hard rocking moments on there, mm -hmm. honestly. And I, I think because this album predates, you know, the, the history, sometimes it's revisionist history of getting their brain back, you know, with revenge is, is always the, that's, you know, the accepted thing right there. But I think really, if you listen to this right after you listen to some of the albums that came before it, they're turning a lot of things back up. The drums are louder, mm -hmm. uh, closest to creatures than they had been, you know, since some of the tracks maybe on Asylum, but the drums are louder, the guitars are louder. Bruce is choking that guitar on a lot of songs. So there's shades of that, what's going to happen on Revenge on it. So I, I think it actually is a pretty good hard rock album. I think Forever kind of, you know, takes that perception and makes it that way, honestly. Well, I honestly agree with you on the fact that the seeds of revenge seem to be on this album. And the seeds gonna... of revenge. That sounds like some horror movie from the, the seeds 70s. of revenge, <laughs> starring Linda. It's the Blair. prequel to Children of the Corn. Yes. They're... Hey, <laughs> excellent tie-in. I would call it hard rock, but they definitely did take out most of the heavy metal aspects. You know. But you brought up a good point, Ken. Um, that late 80s era where mm. everybody seems to be like, yeah, you know, the blues is really my roots. Exactly. And um, it's it's very apparent in there. There's some slide on there on a couple of tracks, and uh, I'll go further into that when we get to rise to it. But, uh, well, like, yeah, for example, that's a very good point. Uh, yeah, yeah, I always thought the album, I always kind of, it came out like the year after Long Cold Winter, you know, Cinderella, and I thought it showed kind of a Cinderella influence, who were exactly label mates. Yeah, yeah, they were label mates, and they had just, uh, I mean, Long Cold Winter sold like 2 million copies in 1988. The beginning of Rise to It is just like the beginning of Falling Apart at the Seams, pretty much. Exactly. Which is probably mostly where my connection came from. But I think uh, Street Giveth and The Street Taketh Away and stuff, too, There's you can hear a Cinderella influence in there, I think. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, let's... And they were, sharing a, they were sharing a manager, too, and Larry Mazur at the time, if I'm not right, mistaken. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I like the sound of this album. I just want to say, kind of in defense of this, I know that some people kind of get down on this record because it's just a bunch of demos, and uh, or I guess demos that were gussied up for the release. Um, but I actually think all, um, all things taken into account that it's kind of a, a, a good rock record, like kind of raw, um, very clear sound, clean production, um, very straightforward. I don't love the drum sound. Some of the drums sound like they're... Um, uh, drum machines rather than actual live drumming and, and that might in fact be the case in, in some instances um, so I'm, I'm not really all that thrilled about the drum sound but the rest of it's good very good stuff well let's let's uh, hit track one rise to it Rise to it, um, I, I quite like a lot, actually. I think it's a good lead-off single. I like the um, slide guitar. Um, you know what? Here's the thing, okay? I, I, coming into Rise to it, right, for example, right, uh, with the slide guitar and everything, the thing about Hot in the Shade that I really like I, is something that I also like about Monster, which is that sometimes Kiss have to make Kiss records to prove that they're Kiss, which I think is fine, but they, you know, like they did that with Sonic Boom and Preachers of the Night and so on. 
Um, and then sometimes I think they make records just to make music, where they're like putting together the kind of things that they want to hear and, and do in the studio, and they stretch out a little bit, um, and they just act like a rock band. And I think Monster is very much like that, and I, 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 I love that album. And um, Hot in the Shade's like that too. So Rise to It kind of makes me think of that. Get that slide guitar in there, and some really nice leads from Bruce. Um, great vocals from from Paul and everybody. Um, the video for Rise to It is is great fun. Um, this was a time when um, you know there were rumors about and maybe some plans or attempts to make some kind of reunion happen, but um, in the public's mind, it wasn't something that uh, that was on the immediate horizon. And so putting on the makeup was uh, uh, for that video was kind of like a little tease. Um, of something that wouldn't actually come to fruition for another six or seven years. Um, but it was fun, and I, I really enjoy the, the non-makeup part of that video. There's a great energy and camaraderie, not just within the band, but also mostly between the, the people on stage, you know, the band and the audience. Great fun. Um, and, and just a catchy sing-along song. Uh, Matt Porter, your thoughts on Rise to it? You know, I think at some point, and especially now that this is called Heritage Rock, this song will probably end up in a Viagra commercial at some point. Um, yeah. You know, it's, uh, I mean, it's good. I think, I mean, it's almost, it's, it's listening back to it, I think it seems pretty standard. Uh, obviously, we could talk about the video and how that whole inaccurate costume thing at the start. I'm not a big fan of that. It's good. I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, even that little guitar thing, I think it feels a little too soft to start a Kiss album. I want something that comes right out of the box. And I think that kind of little bit of a, like, they're, I don't know, they're pulling back. It's a good track. I think probably one of the ones that maybe I listen to too much. Like, because when I was listening to it again this week, I'm thinking, hey, this is all right. Very cool. BJ? Yeah, I always like this song a lot. Um, I don't know what much else to say about it. I mean, the uh, the uh, Paul Stanley say. play on words is classic, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's it's got a '70s rock feel that I liked, and I thought it was a good album opener. Joey, uh, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of this song. This was one of my favorite songs that year, and I actually I didn't have MTV at the time, so I missed the videos run entirely. But I. I Later on, I kind of scratched my head as to number one why it wasn't included on the box set. Um, not, you know, I, I just don't understand that because, like, I think every single pretty much was on the box set. Um, I don't know if it was because Paul co-wrote it. You know, you could make the argument that maybe shared royalties or something like that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. But it's a strong track, and like I said, I, I'm I'm kind of with you there, Matt. As far as the intro has nothing to do with the song, right? And, it, it, it like we were saying earlier, I I think that definitely is a callback to something that sold a lot of records before this album came out. Yeah, I would agree, Chris. This is a pretty decent song. It's a fairly typical Kiss album opener for an '80s album. You know, other than that, I mean, it's you know, it's got the rah rah choruses and stuff, and it you know, it it's gets the album off to the right start, I think. Well, one of the things that bothers me is that you got this really cool, and I assume that's Bruce playing. Uh, and, and it seems like Bruce really shines on this album. Oh, yeah. I mean, the guy is just amazing. Shout out to Bruce Kulik. We love you. 
you were definitely part of history. You definitely deserve to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame along with everybody else, and we just Amen. love you. And you, you kick ass on this album and everything that you've ever done that we, we love, man. It's just great stuff. Um, and yet, in, in Behind the Mask, he calls it his least favorite Kiss album. Yeah, yeah, well, I, don't, I don't understand that. It's mine, that, too. Really. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as his performance goes, Ken, I don't understand why he doesn't like the album nearly as much because he is great on this record. Well, maybe, yeah. maybe it could be that it's just kind of a disjointed collection mm-hmm. of demos more than it is a straight-ahead album. But, I um, I, if I could say one more thing about Rise yeah. to it, um, I did I did some nerdy, <clears throat> geeky uh, research before Good. this, and I never knew who this Bob Halligan guy was mm-hmm. beforehand, the guy that co-wrote Rise to it with Paul, and there's massive Kiss tie-ins with this guy, and before he met Kiss, apparently, he co-wrote two awesome Judas Priest songs, one's called Take These Chains from Screaming for Vengeance, which is a nugget of a song, it's a great song, and some heads are going to roll from Defenders of the Faith. Uh, he also yep. wrote a song with Rob during his solo days called Twist, and he had a massive hit the year that Hot in the Shade was coming out with Don't Close Your Eyes by Kicks. Mm-hmm. And he also wrote a song on the Love Hurts album by Cher, which of course includes one of our favorite Kiss covers of all time, A World Without Heroes. Yep. And he wrote songs for the Bonfire album. Anybody know Bonfire? I'm sure you do. Yep, German. Yeah, did the Sword and Stone on Shocker, which of course would have been a Kiss song, which would have been great on this album, of course, or, or Crazy Nights, I guess. I think but we've I, made a music nerd love connection with BJ and Joey. <laughs> These two Actually, guys. Actually, um, Bob Halligan Jr. had an album called Windows in the Wall, I think, like 91. It's pretty yeah. good. I mean, it, it's the kind of stuff I like, like AO, mellow AOR, kind of ballady, but really good songs, you know? Joey and BJ, you guys are like the... I don't want to say nerd, but it's like you guys are the guys that do all the research, and it's just wonderful the wealth of information you guys bring. Matt and I, we just sit there and like go, "It rocks, dude." You know what I mean? Well, but you, but you know what you're just you're just saying how uh, Bruce doesn't necessarily like the album. Maybe it's because they didn't use too many of Bruce's songs. He only has co-written. I guess two of them on the album and they are pulling in all these outside writers you know you got that guy you got Desmond Child you got Holly Knight I mean they're, Michael Bolton Vinny I mean, Poncia, yeah. right I mean at some point it's like almost everybody except for Bruce is getting to do Tommy Thayer's on one of these songs so yep. it's like at some point Bruce is probably going like uh, you know uh, hey you know I'm still over here you know can we do one of my songs and yeah. I think that's as you go through that list and you go, okay, this one and that one and this one and that one, you go, well, you know, are we making a Kiss album? But And then uh, one of his two co-writes, Prisoner of Love, he seems to be pretty mad about how that turned out, you know, arrangement-wise. We'll, 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 we'll right. get so, to that when we get to that track. Yeah, so. right. But, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, to me, the, it's got a great introduction, but then when the guitars do kick in, it just seems like someone just reaches over and turns them down. It, it almost sounds like that to me. Because you've got that bluesy guitar thing, it's right in your face, and then when everything's supposed to get like louder, there's nowhere to go, because, you know, and it, it seems like it just... You know what I mean? Yeah, just, Rise to It Rise to it should have sounded a lot heavier, because some of the stuff later on the record does, guitar-wise. It's, uh-huh. I feel like they did, you know, turn down the guitars for radio, which is sad. Yeah, I agree.
Our next track is Betrayed. Let's start off with Chris Karam. What are your thoughts on Betrayed? When I first heard this song, mm -hmm. I was annoyed by it, and it didn't have anything to do with the music. It was Gene in this, you know, you pay your taxes, you pay your rent. Here's this rich rock star trying to be Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> you know, I mean, I almost got a picture of Springsteen. You pay your taxes, you pay your rent. Or at least and, Huey Lewis in the news, if nothing else. Yeah, and it just kind of rubbed me the you wrong way. You pay your taxes, so much. you pay your rent. Ba -na -na. <laughs> anyway, go on. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, and I don't mind it now. It's it's a very driving song, and you know it's 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 got some edge to it at least, uh, especially in the drums. You know the the drums are kind of relentless on this song. But there's there's one thing that's been brought up on other podcasts as well. When Gene does that rap in the middle, where he's talking, mm -hmm. I can't even hear it. And now that I'm 25 years older, I can't I can hear it even less. <laughs> it just sounds like you know. That's right. <laughs> well, doesn't he do something like that on uh, Revenge in one of the tracks? Where, uh, yeah, I'm yeah, paralyzed. I'm, I'm paralyzed. Not so bad. <laughs> yeah, it's like, Gene, speak up. This is usually a guy who's not too quiet. Yeah. He was probably talking to someone Ow. in the studio, and they just happened to have their, you know, the mic on. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, Ezra, and they, he thought, oh, this will make a good sound effect for the backdrop of the song. <laughs> Gary Schaller? Betrayed is probably one of my favorite songs um, on this record, and... I think one of the strongest tunes from the non-makeup years. Um, it marks the first appearance of a Tommy Thayer co-write uh, in history, um, and it's kind of a good. It's kind of good chord progression. I really like that crunchy, yeah, um, rock and roll chord progression that goes throughout the thing. Um, kind of a neat riff at the beginning, I think. Um, very straightforward lyrics, not um, heady subject matter. Very, very good vocals from Gene. Uh, especially toward the uh, end, the fade out. Um, they played it uh, a very few times, and maybe once or twice on the, on the tour. BJ, your thoughts on Betrayed? Um, it's not one of my favorites on the album. Mm -hmm. I don't really like the chorus very much, I guess. And I don't, I don't know about the way it's produced. Um, the, the Chris said the drums are relentless, but they're kind of too relentless. It's just the same beat the whole song, over and over it seems. Again. Yeah. I was noticing on this album there aren't a lot of drum fills. <laughs> that I no. know, you know. Well, I think that might come back to that it was a collection of demos that the guy yeah, was right. working through instead of uh, an actual Kiss album in that sense. Does anyone uh, agree with that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's definitely a point yeah. to make with that. Yeah. Okay, Joey, what are your thoughts on Betrayed? Um, it's it's one of my least favorites on the album. It's not bad for Gene on the album, which is kind of saying something. Ouch. But oh, come on. Come on. It's it's that ouch. come on. I think this at least this is where the production gets a little better as far as things being a little louder, the guitars are a little louder, the drums are a little louder, you know. We're we're into rock mode at least. But the fir the last time I listened to this the other day, I noticed this for the first time and this takes place on a couple of songs on the record. Verse wise, not so much chorus wise. I was starting to. I thought it was a little Alice Cooper esque, you know. And, and I think maybe because he had such a big hit, you know, as they were making this album, you know, he was coming back too. I don't know if that was the case, but you know, I actually I could, could really hear, hear Alice, Alice sing singing this. the verses of Betrayed. Actually, yeah, that would have been cool, Matt. 
Yeah, see, I'm going to go against the grain a little bit. I think this is actually one of my favorite songs on the album. I don't necessarily listen to it as if Gene is singing about his own problems. I think he's trying to connect to an audience that at the time maybe was, you know, didn't have money or whatever. And and I like that the kind of idea of, you know, get off your knees and live your life. You know, it's like everybody's got trouble. You know what I mean? To me, that sentiment is better. And when he says, you know, look, your back's against the wall and nobody gives a you know, and hey, look, I don't curse on my show, but I'll curse on your show. But the uh, that's right. And it's just, that's uh, right. You know, I think that there's something to it. I like that sentiment, even though, okay, he's a rich rock star and I'm not. But, you know, I think it was a good kind of message now. And, and as far as the drums, I mean, I was going to say this when we started. I think a lot of the drums sound like it's a drum machine. I mean, some of the patterns are so kind of standard. I, I think, if anything, I think the drums are actually kind of weak on a lot of these songs. And, uh, you know throughout but I, I like this song the one it, part of this song that i love is the part where it said you've got to hold on hold right on. i love that part it's very cool one thing that uh all the haters can start uh hating right now if they want but tommy thayer plays guitar on this and it was a co-writer it's a co-write yeah yeah he took he took credit for the chorus melody so that's very the part cool. i don't like <laughs> Can I ask you a question, Ken? Sure. I, you know, actually, I missed hearing this song live by like a day or two because I saw the Dallas show on this tour. Oh wow! Uh, but so I, dude, trade got dropped after the first show, I think, or the second show. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any, uh, is there any good uh, handheld uh, recordings of Betrayed maybe out there? Oh, no. 
Okay, our next track is Hide Your Heart. It was a single and uh, did fairly well for the band, and it was another one of those MTV hits. The thing I always found a bit disingenuous about this single was uh, th at the beginning of, the, of a KISS video, it says that there are 80,000 gang members and so on and so forth with 600 deaths, and it just seemed like uh, out of place in a KISS video, you know what I'm saying? But everybody's trying to get their video to be respected. You know, like it, it, it had a message other than do 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 do. <laughs> I do not really care for this song all that much. There's parts of the song that I like, there's parts I just don't, and it seems kind of cheesy to me. Um, I do not like this song by Ace. I do not like uh, Green Eggs and Ham, Sam I Am. I, I, I don't like any version of this <laughs> song. I do that not I've like written. Robin Beck. I do not like Molly Hatchet. I do not. <laughs> None of them rhyme, though. Yeah, exactly. But I hear Bonnie Tyler's version, because I haven't. We've got to play some that. of that. She right. named her album after it, I think. Yeah. Oh. Hide Your Heart, um, it's interesting because I actually heard, I think, the Trouble Walking version before I heard the Kiss version. Um, I, I had the, I guess I had the option of buying Hot in the Shade first, but I actually bought Trouble Walking, and um, I, I much prefer Ace's version of Hide Your Heart to Kiss's version. Still a very strong song, in my opinion. Um, I thought the video was striking, yeah, um, that message at the beginning. Um, it looks like they were going for kind of, um, I don't know, like to be a socially conscious band as far as the condom message and then the, um, the gun violence or gang violence message. Um, Hydra Heart's a clever song and, um, and very catchy. It's not surprisingly co-written by Desmond Child and Holly Knight. Um, so you get some really good pop pedigree uh, there and a, a very, very strong vocal delivery. Um, from everybody. I, I, I think uh, when Revenge came out, Gene, uh, and maybe Paul, but definitely Gene in some of the interviews was talking about how Revenge was a really hard rock, rocking record um, where they didn't have na na na, hey 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 stuff on it. And, and I, to my mind, he may be um, making fun of Hydra Heart or Loves a Slap in the Face. Either way, I, I think Hydra Heart's a great Kiss song and it sounded good live too. Uh, in fact, this is a recording of KISS performing Hide Your Heart on the 2013 KISS Cruise. Give it a listen. Um, what album is this on? Hot in the Shade. So you gotta sing it with us. 
Alright, goes like this.
And to me, for a song that just is not that great, there's a hell of a lot of people covering it. Maybe I just missed the boat. Chris, am I wrong? What are your thoughts on Hide Your Heart? I actually don't mind the song. I think it's a pretty good song. I like it. It, You know, it's it's not like in my top ten, but it's definitely a song that when I hear it, I go, yeah, that's okay. And, you know, like you said, the good thing about it is if you don't like the Kiss version, you have four other versions to choose from. And the interesting thing that I thought about that was when I heard Molly Hatchet. Now, I, 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 you know, I knew Bonnie Tyler. I didn't know who Robin Beck was at that point. And obviously Ace did a version of it shortly, you know, around the same time. But I'm thinking, Molly Hatchet? I mean, are they going to speed it up and do it boogie style? <laughs> Better hide your heart! Yeah, they you might know, have. With, with, like, you know, three guitars and, you know... Yeah. In a 20 minute jam. I mean, I don't know. That, that just seemed kind of inconceivable. But, you know, getting back to the Kiss thing, I like it. I mean, I, I agree with the thing about the video, you know, the that disingenuous, that's a big word. Like um, gymnasium. You know, disclaimer at the beginning of the video because, like, what is, you know, Kiss getting into public service announcements? Mm-hmm. I mean, you read the liner notes to the album, they're telling you, you know, they're telling you, counseling you about AIDS and not, you know, and all this stuff. And it's like, Wow, all of us, you know, in 87, Kiss is doing Exposed and promoting, you know, sex sex and rock and roll and partying. And two years later, it's like, well, we don't want, you know, don't here's be in the a facts gang. about AIDS. Don't be in a gang and here's facts about AIDS. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> boy, way to, you know, way to kill the party. Yeah, I noticed the, the, the little message about condoms as well. I, I, it kind of cracked me up. Um, it, 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 this thing came out, what, four or five years after... Um, the animalized live uncensored video and you had Paul Stanley talking about um, all of his you know sex exploits um, night after night on stage uh, it's kind of a mixed message to say you know hey you know let's let's go sleep with everyone and use condoms um, but it's a good message and I think um, I think it's alright for a rock band to um, get preachy when it's something that's actually helpful to people's health Gene just didn't want to get sued Ouch. <laughs> okay, BJ, Ouch. your thoughts on Hide Your Heart? Uh, it's all right. It's kind, of, yeah, like you said, it's kind of cheesy, and the lyrics are kind of reminiscent of maybe living on a prayer or something. Just discover. And uh, I don't understand why why the song ended up on that publishing demo because that's why all those other artists did it because mm-hmm. you know Paul circulated it on a publishing demo with three or four other songs that Kiss never did. And he was just trying to, he was, he wanted other songwriters to do it at that time. And then he ends up putting it on the Kiss album. It doesn't make sense. But from what I read, they recorded this during the Crazy Night sessions, too. And also, you know, he played it on his solo tour. And if, I would recommend uh, on YouTube, you can see a, a really good, it sounds great, uh, video. I think it's a show in New Jersey or something mm-hmm. where, with Paul's solo band playing the song. Right. And I, it sounds better than on the album, I would say. It's, it's heavier, you know. Right. All right, Matt, your thoughts on Hide Your Heart? You know, um, I thought Hide Your Heart, it's, it's a good rock song. I mean, I think in a way, I think uh, BJ said it, it's very Bon Jovi-ish. And you wonder if, you know, Johnny and Rosa and Tito live near Tommy and Gina. Do they work on the dock <laughs> together? I don't know. You know, it's like, uh, it, it's, it's kind of like you could tell that that's where they were trying to have a Bon Jovi-style hit. And it feels that way, that kind of storytelling song. And, uh, you know, it's a good song. I mean, certainly it's one that you can sing along with in your car. Joey, 
Yeah, I, I like the song, and like I said, I was I was 11, but I still like the song, and I was actually a little bummed out because even though I'm Kiss Navy, I missed the cruise just recently, and they brought it back, so I would have actually popped for that. And uh, I, besides that, I, the thing it's almost like you know, like when you listen to the first album and Deuce is really kicking in at the end, and and it just fades out, like. I feel like Paul's just really cooking at the end of that, and it just fades out. Like he's hitting some great high notes, some of the best he's ever done, and it's just like it's fading out. It's going away. It's gone. Do you notice a lot of the songs on this album just fade out? Because I think they hadn't really been playing them, so they don't have an ending figured out. And right. I think most of the songs on here seem to go into a fade out like that. Yeah, yeah there's the demo like, demo aspect again. Yeah. That, that's yeah, actually think, in my notes for a song coming up. I, I noticed the same thing about this album. Yeah, um, Boomerang is the only one that doesn't, but at least they made that the ender. Maybe that's why they made it the ender. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, Hide Your Heart is also a song doctor double whammy. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a very, you know. Um, yeah, you have Holly Knight and Put together polished song with obvious goals in mind, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, you know, I would. <laughs> I would have to say that when they wrote the song, they probably didn't intend it for Kiss because I don't know why it would have been on that publishing demo. And then Paul must have changed his mind because obviously he wouldn't have wanted all those other versions of it to be out at the same time if it's going to be the kickoff single for the album and everything. Mm-hmm. So, and, yeah, I, you know, this maybe this is the time for me to to say, you know, I, I feel like especially a lot of the more old school fans. I'm not I'm not singling anybody here out. I'm just saying like what I hear out of here. Is that I feel like the song doctors kind of get a bad rep for, uh, you know, feel like they changed the band or something like that. Well, the the band did it. They they're the ones that worked with them, and I think Desmond Child and Holly Knight wrote great songs, and they should yeah, be. So yeah, so do I. Yeah, no. You know, I no, mean, I like uh, a lot of the Desmond Child stuff, and yeah, yeah. So that's all. I just wanted to defend those people. <laughs> Hi, this is Bruce Kulick, and you're listening to Podkiss. Okay, our next track is Prisoner of Love. Gary Schaller? Prisoner of Love, um, it's, you know, it's a song I like. It's not one that I immediately gravitate toward. It's, um, I think, unapologetic and not embarrassing. Um, but sometimes it's, uh, I, I don't know, some of the material on this record, for me, doesn't really stand out because it, it feels like stuff that any band could do. Um, I like... I like Gene's songwriting so much. He's my favorite rock songwriter um, because he does things that are Beatlesque or you know particularly kind of heavy, uh, dark material, um, or just very melodic, beautiful pop. This is something that I think this song and others, some of these could have been on like um, I don't know maybe a Van Halen record or a Def Leppard record or something. It's just not really a standout for me. Matt, what are your thoughts on Prisoner of Love? I'd go, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm a big Gene fan, but I think this is one of my more favorite tracks in the album. I like the yeah, yeah, at the start. Um, I I like it. I think it's a good song. The, uh, you know, I think uh, there's, it's a strong song from Gene on the album. Joey Haney. 
A great band performance, especially the solo section and the breakdown. I love all of that stuff on there, and I like the backup vocals, like Matt said, but the lyrics are so-so. But like I said, great arrangement. That choking guitar aspect, like the revenge stuff, you can hear it creeping in on here. Mm-hmm. And Gene hits the highest note, I think, since Nowhere to Hide on a solo album. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. BJ, what are your thoughts? I think it's an all right song. I would pr- I would probably prefer to hear the version of it that Bruce Kulick imagined, you know, the more driving rock song than the he says that Gene made it into a shuffle. <laughs> and uh but yeah, it's all right. Chris Karam. Well, this is my least favorite Kiss album ever and an argument for why bands should not or artists should not produce themselves because songs like this get on it. Uh it's not the worst song on the album, but at the same time it really doesn't do much for me. I just think that when you produce yourself, you don't have the objectivity to, you know, to say, well, wait a minute, this song may not be good enough. I, I think that most artists uh, work better when they have an outside producer. I don't really care for the song all that much. It's like I said, not the worst, but it's far from the best. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the song, but uh, again, Bruce gets a co-write on this one. Okay. So let's do our little. Uh, well, I, I'm kind of like if I don't have much good to say, I don't have much to say on it. Does that make any sense? What a hitter! Yeah. I wish more people were like that. Well, I mean, I like what I like, and I don't like what I don't like. But this this album really does not get a lot of play in my rotation. For good I or for bad. I think this is. I think this is. I think somebody mentioned this on a podcast way back in the day. I think this album would actually be more well received even by the Kiss army if it actually had been shorter. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. Now, so this did is I. this is a kind of a bizarre idea to me because as a fan, I want more 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 to Bruce Kulick Andrea True connection kind of thing. Ah, there. nice. Yeah, nice. a little subtle reference. But um <laughs> Or give me more. But I, I always want more. Like, to me, the Beatles anthology is great. I want more of it. You know what I'm saying? If you've got 19 different versions of Day Tripper, I would listen to every single one of them. I don't have a problem with, uh, jo- what is it, jo- jo- Jakuto Redutsen or whatever, the Kiss classic re-records. I have no problem with that. I want to hear that as well. And I'm glad I have Hot in the Shades. Uh, hot, hot in the shade, but I am not that much a fan of it, just in the sense that I'm a huge fan of anthology, but those are not my go-to versions of those songs for the most part. So there, there's been this theory passed around, people make their own albums, you know, because we all have so much time on our hands, yeah. uh, that this would be a better album if it were shorter. What do you guys think? Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, what if you took the five worst songs off of this album? <coughs> then wouldn't it be a much stronger album? I think it would. It would be better. I, I mean, it would be better. I don't know, you know, it's you'd still have the production aspect, but, you know. I just think that I would rather have a 10-song, 40-minute album that's solid rather than 60, 70 minutes with a lot of filler. It just detracts from it. I, You know, I understand Ken's you know, argument or his position that, you know, I want more, but I just feel like if you compare a classic Kiss album from the 70s, sure, maybe it was 35 minutes long, but I think the ratio of filler to to killer tracks is better, and those albums hold up, I think, as opposed to an album like Hot in the Shade, where you have to wade through quite a bit of mm, direct. 
I think that this album stock would have raised exponentially with one move. And even if you kept the same amount of songs on there, and I'll tell you which song it is later, but you cut one song off of there and you put on Somebody's Waiting by Eric Carr. Mm-hmm. Okay, what song? I think, and uh, it, I think it's also because Hysteria album by Def Leppard, it was such a massive record. And one of the big selling points of Hysteria, yeah, people had to wait a long time for it to come out, but when it came out, the sticker was like over an hour of music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and exactly. And I think that His- became the industry standard after that. Yeah, Hysteria is the first album I remember that had more songs, you know? But And I think the 15 songs is just a symptom of the times. This was basically Kiss's first album in, like, the digital CD age. You know, I remember when my dad took my friend Dan and I, and the day it came out to get it at the record store, they had one copy on vinyl in the whole store. And my friend Dan got it. We fought over it. (laughs) So you you uh, have it on vinyl? Does anybody else here have it No, I have never seen it again. I've never seen it again in all my trips to record stores. I've never seen it again. They had one copy in the whole store because that was... Right when Hot in the Shade came out was right when the record stores, the mainstream record stores, were getting rid of vinyl. Yeah, it's like you know, it just so, disappeared overnight. Yeah. Yeah, and so the 15 songs was just a trend because of CDs, and they were just following along with the trend. I think it was, you know, it was kind of a short period there where everybody's albums were that long. You know. Yeah. No, the the length of the album is perfect because it's just about enough time for me to get from here to work. <laughs> and it's just you know, and I get from the first song to the last song, but I mean, really, it's the, the also at that time you got to figure they were trying to figure out where they were going to go, you know, what kind of style, and I think they were trying to please as many people as they could, even just a couple songs we already talked about, you know, like I like one, maybe Chris doesn't like it, this and that and the other. I think they were thinking the same thing as well. You know, we want to be on top. You know, what are we going to do? You know, and, and I think in a lot of ways it seems like. To me, it sounds like two different solo albums put together. You got Gene's solo album and Paul's solo album because they don't seem to be on each other's songs. So there probably was a little bit of arguing, okay, which songs are we going to cut? Because there's definitely Paul's songs and Gene's songs. And you get and one Eric and other, one Bruce. And, and they looked at one another and said, Eric's other song. Right. Yeah, it, it's 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 sad. And I could, I could definitely, you know, people, and, and unfortunately Eric's not here today to talk about this kind of stuff. But you, you hear about the stories about how disenchanted he was at this time and on the tour and all this stuff and right. you know he he i you know and not that everything on rockology is solid for me but i feel especially somebody's waiting should have been on the album and he says well forever was going to be the ballad on the record i think i've heard that quote too but i'm saying you know once again going back to hysteria there's three ballads on that record you, mm-hmm. there's room for one more especially something that good they could have been like a third or fourth single come on you make an excellent case for it yeah track is track five read my body to me i've always thought that this was zepp meets kiss and tries to find Def leopards pour some sugar on me at the same time joey what are your thoughts i was gonna say it's missing some credits on the songwriting it should have at the end also read <laughs> clark colin elliot lang and savage 
Um, but that's an obvious joke now, isn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, it's derivative as hell, but you know what? When I listen to it sometimes, I smile and I laugh, and I think it's kind of fun. And um, one thing it does do that uh, sometimes people try to write anthems, and there's one rule that sometimes they don't always do, and it's, to me, one of the rules is you have to octave jump on your last chorus, and they did it on this song. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> Matt, your thoughts? See, that's if we're talking about cutting a song off the album, this is it. This song, to me, is so silly. The only really redeeming thing that I like about it is, uh, and I'll tell you a quick story. The one day we were going up to New York, Paul Stanley was going to be at the guitar show. It's 2000, year 2000, I guess. And it's my friend Bob Brodsky and my friend Keith Pankowitz, and we're driving up, and we got this, we're, we're hustling to make the train. And Keith says, what's that song where Paul's, like, rapping? And off the top of his head, Bob says, read my body, starts doing the lyrics. He's practically doing the dance. He's doing a music video as we're running for this train. And that's what I think of when I think of the song. But I think this song is so silly. Like that whole rap thing, like like they followed every trend. You figure we got, you know, Kiss doing disco or grunge or whatever you want to call it do, during at different times. But Paul, as a rap guy, I'm not a fan. And I just, this this could easily be one of my least favorite Kiss songs of all time. I wish wow. Chris was here so we could go, extra, extra, read all about it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll add him in post. Uh, BJ, your thoughts? Horrible. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to just right, leave right. it at that? or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> a man of few words today. Uh, I'm actually surprised this wasn't a single, and I'm surprised it wasn't a video. I think they maybe were embarrassed about it, not not because of just the song itself, but because people had been like, "That's pour some sugar on me." It's the same chords even in the chorus. Yeah, but so. I think it's it would have made itself. for a fun kiss video. <laughs> yeah, Chris Karam, what are your thoughts on the wonderful "Read My Body"? Oh, I have some thoughts on this one. Okay. Uh, not only is this my least favorite Kiss album, but this quite possibly could be the worst Kiss song ever. Oh, if I want to listen to Def Leppard, I'll put on Def Leppard. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's funny, Ken, you, you mentioned Led Zeppelin, and I, that never even occurred to me because all I can hear when I when I think about the song is, you know, it's Pour Some Sugar On Me's, you know, um, poor relation, very poor relation. Yeah, but there's some definite Zepp in there. If you listen and the to the riffs, guitar, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I guess I could hear that now, but I just, but you know something? I don't want to hear it now. You have to listen too closely to the song to hear it. I listened, I listened to it yesterday to, to prepare for this. It's the first time I've listened in over 20 years, and please don't ever make me do that again. Well, are the letters big enough? <laughs> They're too big. They should be lowercase. Lowercase. Yeah, you know, the play on words and rise to it worked, but this does not work. Yeah. It's yeah. just embarrassing. Exactly. <laughs> but it's fun. It was the 80s, right? What, what, you know, what can we say? Yeah. Gary Schaller? Uh, uh, read my body. Um, you know, I like it in spite of itself. It's sort of funny, um, like bang, bang, you, kind of tongue-in-cheek, funny. Eh. Uh, it's, it's, it's too catchy for me to dismiss uh, outright. It's also not, I would say, one of the finest moments in history.
Next is Love is a Slap in the Face. Love's a Slap in the Face, actually, written by Mr. Simmons and Vinnie Poncia. BJ, take lead on this one. Um, it's all right. <laughs> I no, don't know we're talking about Love's a Slap in the Face, not It's All Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It's All Right's another song. It's All Right's a, it's all right's a great song. Love's a Slap in the Face is not. Um, it's okay. Doesn't do much for me. Um, it's not horrible. It's pretty similar to Prisoner of Love, in my mind. Yeah, it does seem kind to of have that a lot. slow-paced Gene song where he's kind of being smarmy, or I don't know, <laughs> smarmy Gene. Yeah, which actually was a band name. No, I'm kidding. It just doesn't it sound like a band from like 1989, Smarmy Gene? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They had a, it's uh, just they had a top 40 hit, or just barely cracked the top 40. Oh. Gary Schaller? Um loves the slap in the face. To me, holds up over time. Um, nice lyrics. I love this sort of um, mid-range Gene vocals, like like these songs and like uh, "Good Girl Gone Bad" on Crazy Nights. Um, very, he's just got a really great singing voice, in my opinion, and um, loves a slap in the face. Really uh, showcases that Gene can be a very good singer, and and uh, this is no exception. Uh, it was interesting seeing Vinnie Poncia's name uh, reappearing because after Dynasty and Unmasked, it, it seemed unlikely that they would ever um, work with Vinnie. Pontia again, um, and I'm just trying. I'm looking back here to see what his involvement was. I think he co-wrote some of the music, isn't that right? Um, yeah, he he co-wrote "Loves the Slap in the Face" and maybe another one. I don't right. remember, but um, it was interesting seeing his name. Oh yeah, Cadillac Dreams, King of Hearts. Right. He co-wrote. Oh, Silver Spoon. Boy, he was uh, somewhere between heaven and hell. They they worked with him a lot. Maybe they were just trying to recapture that pop. Um, hit thing that they got with I Was Made For Loving You and Shandy. It's just weird to me that they were working so closely with... I always thought when I was a kid his name was Vinnie Poncia, but I guess it's Vinnie Poncia, huh? I have no I, idea. I, it's, how did, you know, it's weird that they were working with him again in 1989, but... Uh, how did that happen? I don't know. Well, I, maybe he was going to produce the record and they, they wanted to save money. I think that's why they, you know, that's why they released the demos was just to save money, I think. Right. Yeah, like right. I mean, he, maybe he acted as like a, one of the de facto producers, and he's like, "Well, we'll give you some songwriting credits. That yeah. way, it kind of, you know, it's a, it's kind of a push, you know." Well, I remember you know, before before Hot in the Shade, they had fired everybody and completely right. cleaned house, and um, right, and that was when Paul's psychotherapist or whatever he was took control, mm-hmm. became the manager and financial advisor. And- right. Well, they had had a bunch of money up front during the making of Crazy Nights and they poured a lot of money into the promotion and everything so basically as good as that album did when it came time to pay everybody back it it was not as well received shall we say yeah and they had really high hopes for Crazy Nights yeah, absolutely. didn't really meet their expectations yeah. Ron Neverson did not deliver I think they recouped a little bit at least on Smashes, Thrashes and Hits because right. I know that album sold pretty well yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's I think the, a big seller. I think the irony of Hot in the Shade, though, is that if you read Chris Lent's book, he said that Glickman Marks advised them that if they didn't use producers, they could save money and not have to pay a producer's royalty and a fee. Yeah, so right. even though Glickman Marks were you know out of the picture by this point, they were still following their advice. Right. You just, you guys just brought up something interesting, uh, the Ron Nevison thing about how you know, I, I bet you anything, and this is pretty obvious, but Gene and Paul probably make better royalties on this album Hot in the Shade than they do on Crazy Nights because of the producer thing um, like David Lee Roth even said that Ted Templeman makes more money off of 1984 than he does to this day 
Wow. wow. Yeah. That's sad. So, I wouldn't doubt it. Matt, what do you think of this song? I like the song. I think it was actually interesting that Gene was kind of writing these kind of love songs, like, you know, loves the slap in the face, like as if it's some kind of wake-up call, but he doesn't even make it three minutes till all of a sudden it's a ball and chain. So it's, uh, you know, but I like it. I, I like the sentiment of it. I think it's a good song. Well, I don't know if it was something that they tried, but there are two occasions on this album where I noticed that Gene and Paul try to one-up one another, and I don't know right. if it was something that they tried to do or it was just subconscious, but it seems like they've always had that kind of relationship where Paul would write one song, and then Gene would do his version of that same song, or vice versa. Gene would do something, Paul would say, well, I can do that too. And uh, this, There's to themes me, on the album. Yeah, yeah to me... Well, Be- Betrayed was actually a Paul Stanley song in the early yeah, 80s, I exactly. think, a different song called Betrayed. Yep. Hmm. But to me, this... Uh, na 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 is almost his version of the hide your heart sing along chorus thing. Yeah. Right. So I don't know if that was something that was planned or just hap- happenstance or coincidence or whatever, but it just seems like it is to me. Well, and these couple these couple songs coming up, you got this one that then leads right into Forever, which is like everybody's favorite wedding song, uh-huh. and then you got either you're a rich person with a silver spoon or you want money, money, money. money. <laughs> it's like back to back to back throughout this album. You know, it's it's like you said, it's almost like they're playing off the same idea. But okay, here's what I did with it. Well, here's what I did with it. Uh-huh. You know, it's uh, it's funny that way. Absolutely. Reason why it loves a slap in the face doesn't work for me. I mean, I think the lyrics are weak. I think even the arrangement is weak. I'm not a fan. This is the song I would cut off the album for sure. Uh, even Bruce Kulick, who we love, I love, uh, his solo sounds like he's tuning up almost or just uh, doing a uh, sound check. Uh, I, I don't think that I think he's as big of a fan of this song as I am. And the solo Ouch. proves it. I mean, if you listen to that solo, I'm sorry, but it, it's. It's like, I'm not going to waste a good solo on this song. And I feel <laughs> when I hear it, that's what I that's what I get. I couldn't find, the only positive thing I could, and I try to find something positive in everything. And this is the only thing I could find. It's, it's one of the very few Kiss songs where, at least if you have headphones on, you can audibly hear maracas. That's it. Was it Davy Jones? or <laughs> Yeah, Davy yeah. Jones on uh, un- uncredited maracas there. Yes. Yeah. Rest in oh, peace. Brother. Yeah, rest in peace, Davy Jones. Okay. Chris, what are your thoughts on Love's a Slap in the Face? Well, if I if I had to choose between listening to this song and getting a slap in the face, <laughs> I, I think I'd probably take the slap in the face. It'd be a little more exciting. See, that's why you made sure you got in on this one. For that. You've <laughs> been right. saving that line. Well, you know, again, you know, I was thinking about when this album was done, and I was this is the scenario I want to put out to you guys, okay? It's early nineteen eighty nine. Paul's doing a solo tour. Gene's, you know, I guess making a movie. Eric and Bruce are probably doing demos with each other. And stuff. What's wrong with this picture, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think in a perfect world, what would have happened was that they would have got together as a band in early 89, written, you know, start writing and rehearsing. Then maybe in the spring, get with a, a producer. You know, maybe, obviously it wasn't going to be Ron Nevison, but an outside producer, start doing the album and, you know, make a proper album. Part of what bugs me about this album is that it just seems like they didn't even have enough. They didn't care enough to make it a proper album. Eh, we'll just take these demos. We gotta, you know, we gotta make our release by the end of the year, and we got a contractual obligation, you know. And I, I think in spots on this album, there's just a lack of energy as a result of that approach. Well, they started recording this album in June, and it came out in October, and yeah. that's crazy turnaround. <laughs> 
for a record. Yeah. And, and a especially when, like you said, uh, Paul Stanley was on tour at the beginning of the year. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. They started recording July through August at the Fortress in Hollywood, California. The release date of the album was October 17th, 1989. A real producer would have cut this song off the album, or at least told him to rewrite the lyrics, because it'd be like, uh, dude, you've been living with Shannon Tweed for five years. Yeah, love's real slap in the face, dude. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Probably the only part of the song that would have been kept was the na 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 na. Well, I yeah, think exactly. I read a I think I read a story where Vinny Poncia said him and Gene were sitting in a room and Vinny just said, "Oh, you know, love's like a slap in the face." And she's like, "Oh, that's a song." <laughs> you always hear those stories from Gene yeah. of how he came up with songs that are just complete BS, but uh Well, you know, he wrote a song called Duct Tape because he was, you know, oh, <laughs> Duct Tape, that's a great idea for a song. Actually, that's a great idea for merchandise. You can pitch yeah. that one. Uh, how about Gene Schilling for Kiss Has duct tape? Ha- has there been Kiss Duct Tape yet? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Someone get Gorilla on the phone and kiss duct tape. And now for what I feel is probably the best part of the album. And uh, it was so good that I got married to this song. So, and of course we're talking about Boomerang. No, um. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's for the, that's for. Uh, Somewhere the, between the heaven and hell. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, the song is called Forever. course we know that it's uh, penned by mr stanley and mr michael bolton and who used to work with bruce kulik and the band blackjack and uh strange bedfellows maybe but made for one heaven of a song chris Karam, would you like to take lead on this one well i think you can uh yeah um i i remember thinking when this song when i first heard it that it, you know it was a pretty standard ballad and I, I pretty much stand by that it's it's a good song i don't think it's great but, you know, it, it serves the purpose of having a ballad on the album, and it also, you know, gave Kiss a top ten hit in the U.S., so, at a time when they really needed it. So, you know, it's, it, and the video, I, I think I like the video better than the song, you know, it just, because, like, Eric Carr had said in an interview, um, you know, 25 years ago, he said, you know, it's just the band, there's, there's no con- you know, conceptual footage, no girls, just the band performing. Mm-hmm. So, that's what I have to say about Forever. Okay, Gary Schaller. Well, this is the big hit, right? I mean, this was the song they were hoping to have, and, and it worked. Um, you got the Michael Bolton co-write in there. Um, and uh, Paul did a great job. Great vocals, great songwriting. Um, I think the video is, is very interesting. I could imagine this being a video that someone might watch nowadays um, in the era of Kiss that... that um, follows the reunion where they're back in the makeup and everything um and to see them just in a room kind of with gene wearing a sweatshirt and stuff just sitting around um playing instruments it's novel um it's a beautiful song and very um i think very effective Uh, clearly it was important for them to have this song and it worked matt you know it's uh certainly like you said it's a wedding song you know if you got that at your wedding that's i think it's perfect for that i'm sure that there's lots of cool couples out there that slow dance to their first song and this was it uh it was great when they did it live because back then everybody had a lighter in their pocket and then uh you know everybody was flicking the lighters up 
And uh, but I think the video to me, it's where you really start going like, wow, like this isn't really Kiss. They're sitting on stools, and it's everybody's just kind of like. There's no energy. They're just kind of hanging out, and and I don't know. I think uh, at that time, you, you know, it, it was Kiss doing every every like you said. It had to be a ballad. Every every band was getting big on their ballads, and uh, it was kind of like wow. And now it's Kiss too, but uh, you know, more fun maybe live than you know if you're cruising around in your car and this comes on and oh, let me slow dance with the steering wheel. But you know, it's I do love seeing Gene in this video. I think he's wearing a black sweatshirt and he's just happy as a clam <laughs> right and and yeah, we I, should call him smiling gene there he is which was another band from the late eight no um <laughs> any, uh running a joke into the ground i cannot watch this video or or not think of this video and not think of eric carr for some reason this is just seems to be as fans isn't this video like tied up in memories of eric carr yeah that and the god gave rock and roll video for yeah. sure uh, but uh, eric's right. drum set is ridiculous in this video i love it mm-hmm and then you have that excellent solo that's in oh, the yeah. song. Just just excellent guitar work on this track all over the place. Uh, Joey, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, actually, I, I met Bruce uh, between uh, Revenge and Carnival of Souls era, and I, I told him that that was, my, that was my favorite guitar solo at the time. I was 14 or something like that, mm -hmm. and I spent hours trying to learn how to play the solo on the acoustic guitar and, and failed actually at it. Uh, I told him it was a great solo and I remember reading an interview like months later saying that he he's not a big fan of the solo because he wanted a big electric you know so he wanted to shine as a guitar hero of the day and uh, Gene and Paul asked him to do an acoustic solo instead but uh, a few other points to make about this song. Yes you'd have to be completely jaded and not be a Kiss fan not to want to use this song at your wedding so good on you Ken. I may have to steal that from you yeah. but uh, as far as the video goes, I feel like the video is kind of the commentary of Gene Simmons in the 80s. And even himself would say this. He's physically there, but he's kind of sitting on his butt a little bit. Uh, yeah, there you go. It's my high comedy the for the time. show. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like, um, you know, us Kiss fans, we read all the liner notes and everything like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think once the fact really got out there, I think people loved this song until they figured out that Bolton co-wrote it. And Bruce Kulick is easily the coolest thing about Michael Bolton. I will say that. That's a fact. That's a scientific fact, actually. See, I really respect Michael Bolton. I know KISS fans all over the world are throwing their headphones down in anger. But Tomatoes. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually really respect Michael Bolton. He's not, like, my favorite or anything, but the guy has... He's basically his own industry, and you know he's you, you got to give him his his proper dues. You know what I'm saying? Again, not my go-to artist, but I can respect him for what he's done. BJ, uh, laughing at is, me. Forever is a good song. It's well written. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't have a problem with it. I like it. And yeah, Michael Bolton. He, I don't know how much respect I have for him because of the way he. <laughs> where he went in his career but he mm -hmm. actually made some hard rock albums early on yeah, absolutely with some pretty decent songs on them so but you know i mean he took it to elevator music eventually right well, well now now you want to buy a car at the winter sale you know it's right 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 <laughs> absolutely oh, um, man. <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to bring up one more point about this song and this is this goes more to rumors and things that i've read but I've read, and it might have even been from Eric Singer, that Eric Singer supposedly played the drums on this song. 
I was going to bring that up earlier too, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, um, because you know, I mean, and it's not, it's not an outlandish theory, because if you figure he was touring with Eric Singer early in the year and he was working on demos, it's quite possible he could have done exactly. that. I, I've read that, and I, and I, I'm not even sure. I thought I'd have to go back to my uh, behind the mask book, but I could have sworn it was even Eric Singer who might have implied that. Wow. Not in that book, but um, I okay. mean, it's the theory is definitely. It, it, there's something to it because this could actually be the debut of the current Kiss lineup on a record. I mean, at some points, but it seems like it would have been Tommy playing on Gene's stuff and Eric Singer playing on Paul's stuff. But right. I don't. I would like to think that Eric Singer doesn't play on Forever because I think it's such a good drum song that Eric should have had that chance to play on it. But who knows? I mean, like I said, as disenfranchised as he got with the band, especially early on in the tour, Singer could possibly have some stuff on this record. Yeah. Well, and well, Kevin well, Valentine supposedly yeah. is on a couple songs too. Yeah, he is. He is. Well, the theory yeah. is is that, uh, as you mentioned, Tommy worked on Gene's songs and Eric uh, worked on Paul's songs. So if these were, if, if the drums used uh, were on those demos and they were never recut, who knows? Eric Singer could be on this album in that sense. We may never know. The world. And I yeah. did. I I <laughs> did read know. something that said at least one song has a drum machine. But I yeah. don't think it said which song. Yeah. Sounds like it's be somewhere between heaven and hell, but yeah. Yeah. Well, by looking at the clock on the wall, we're going to have to call this a podcast. You've just listened to Podcast 79, and we're going to continue discussing the last song on side one and side two of Hot in the Shade on Podcast number 80. So come on back and have some more fun, laughs, and insight into the hottest band in the land, Kiss. See you then. Nice. Well said. Well said. And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podcast is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. Thank you for listening to Podcast, the KISS fanzine for your ears. <laughs>